When the song come on, let me see you get gone. Get gone. Baby mamas, this your song. Been pregnant for way too long. Now tell the DJ, turn it off. Hey everyone, welcome to Baby Mama Hood, a baby and mama led podcast in the hood. And we are actually in um, Black Breastfeeding Week. Um, it happens every August. And basically, Black Breastfeeding Week is all about um, uplifting the beautiful medicine that is breast milk or to be more inclusive, chest milk. And really encouraging black people to reimagine what it means to breastfeed or chest feed our children. Because we live in a society um, that was built by a system that took away enslaved people's rights to their own bodies. And one of the ways that that manifested was through breast milk. I don't know if people know, but during slavery, when there was shadow slavery in the Americas, not just North America, but also all, all the Americas where there was enslaved black people black women were um wet nurses so that meant that they were enslaved and they were um forced to uh chest and breastfeed their masters white children and this history is really important because it really taints this really sacred and intimate act between mama and child. And so a lot of those ramifications, the emotional ramifications, the um, genetic ramifications of not breastfeeding our own children because we had to breastfeed other people's children to survive this system um, has a lot of medicine in it. And it's really revolutionary to breastfeed or chest feed your children. And so Black Breastfeeding Week is all about highlighting the many issues that come along with trying to chest feed. Not to mention or to mention, the there are studies that say that, um, that black people in the hospital who give birth and are more often offer formula because the assumption is, that we can't or we won't breastfeed or chest feed. So to lift that up too, that there isn't a lot of support in chest feeding our babies. And I'm a real life testament um, to that because I remember when I had Zion and she was um, an infant, um, not having support from her pediatrician. A pediatrician is an expert of children and babies, um, and a so-called expert um, doctor of children and babies. And I was actually discouraged um, in breastfeeding, uh, 2007, 2008. And um, it's deep because I posted um, on my Instagram of us, you know, a synopsis of that story. And so I'm going to share the full story. Um, I just want to say that excuse me I just want to say that um that trying to do um natural anything in the hood is extremely hard and it's very inaccessible because the assumption is is that we're not that way or we're not going to do it although herbs um have a very long-standing history in the black and african-american experience 
because there was a time where we weren't even allowed to step foot into medical um, doctors. And in a lot of ways, I feel like there was a blessing in that, in the sense that um, it's not, I don't, you know, it's not really for us. I really don't believe in unnatural ways. I really wish that um, that medicine actually was medicine and not drugs. And I wish that we had more of a cultural um, system around natural and that the research and the studies and the monies and the investments and the university and the schools and the labs really looked at plant medicine as a viable option because um, I don't want to go on a tangent, but we know that hospitals are one of the are the one of the most producing wastes in this planet and the way the environment is set up we need to be more innovative and more creative around the ways that we treat the earth um, because we need the earth to be here so i say all that to say is that um it's really difficult especially for poor folks in the hood to really imagine ways to live holistically it's not something that's marketed to us because um, there's no remedy. There's no money in a remedy or in a cure. There's only a remedy in, in testing us, right? And so poor people are usually the the guinea pigs. And I hate to, you know, um, bastardize the word guinea pigs, but just being a colloquial people and trying to keep this you know, real and to the ground, we're often the guinea pigs or the lab rats of science um white science what they call medicine is what i call drugs and so um i remember having zion and i'm gonna do a different podcast around my birth story with zion i had zion in the hospital i was in new york in new york i lived in new york at the time in westchester county in yonkers south yonkers i was basically in the hood of westchester and I was on public assistance, and so I had public medical assistance. Um, so I had Zion, and I remember when I came home, I had an appointment a couple of days later to go see a pediatrician. I can't remember what the pediatrician name was, but it's not important for right now. But basically, I had an appointment, and I remember the first appointment there was barely any eye contact between the doctor and I. There was barely any, like, real questions or anything. Basically, they just, like, weighed Zion. She was doing great. And then they just, like, took her and just gave her a shot. They gave her a vaccine shot by hepatitis B. I was shocked. I was so um, taken aback on the assumption and the lack of consent in vaccinating my child and anyway, at that point, I was on the fence about vaccinations. I was a young mom. I was 23. Um, I was doing my own research around it. And because I always kind of been like real nerdy about um, doing things all natural, I really wasn't really feeling what I heard and researched um, around what vaccines were. And a lot of people in the hood are not unvaccinated. Um because we are not really giving any alternatives. We just do what we're basically told, right? Um, I'm not that type of person. I wasn't that type of person. Um, I was a part of a lot of 
conscious and radical communities and spoken word poetry and being exposed to consciousness and the whole black conscious movement in New York, I was really on the fence about it. So when Zion got vaccinated, my daughter changed from night to day. It was, she was so different. She was not a calm baby. She was super fussy. Um, and basically she got, you know, the vaccine. I went home and Zion was asleep and she slept for like, I don't know, like six hours, something crazy for a newborn baby to sleep. And she woke up and she was so irritable, so fussy, nothing really helped her. And she went from a, from a baby who was being chest fed about, you know, every one and a half, two hours to a, a newborn that was being fed like every 20, 30 minutes. Zion could not get enough of me. This happened for weeks. Um, and her emotional being changed so quickly that I, that was confirmation for me that I was not going to vaccinate Zion anymore. Um, so I didn't, I ended up switching her doctors um, to another doctor that was closer to where I live. And I just wasn't feeling her pediatrician. That whole, like, not asking for consent thing was really weird. And that doctor was really extra and forceful around Zion being vaccinated. And I was just like, I'm going somewhere else. I went somewhere else, went through battles to, and not, and it's not like real battles. It's what we, what people like to call microaggressions. Um, I really don't like that word microaggressions. I don't want to get on a tangent about it, but I feel like microaggressions are tied to larger systems of oppression and they don't feel micro to me. I'm a very sensitive being and they're not tiny to me and they really affect my health. And we know that microaggressions or being exposed to white culture for black and brown people actually shortens our lifespan. So calling it micro, I feel like diminishes it. So I really don't like that word, but that's the word that we're using right now. And so when I would have every appointment that I would have with Zion, when babies are little, you go to the doctor like almost every month, right? And, um, yeah, and every visit that I went to, he was just like, you need to vaccinate her, you need to vaccinate her. And I was like, I'm not going to vaccinate her. I like did the waiver. I did all the things. And he was still bringing it up in our, at our appointments. And one of my appointments where Zion was around six to nine months, um, he literally told me that I don't need to breastfeed anymore. And I was like, what? I mean, the World Health Organization at that time recommended one year. And, um, I was like, what are you talking about? What do you mean not breastfeed her? And not to mention like a lot of my peers where I was living at in the hood, I always say that in the hood, cause that's where I was at. And that's where I grew up in, in the hood did not breastfeed all of Zion's friends for the most part, I would say were bottle fed babies and they were, you know, they were on wick and whatever, whatever, and they were being fed formula. I wasn't doing that. I, um, I was exclusively breastfeeding. Zion would not take nothing out of a bottle, not water, not juice, not anything. So not even breast milk. So I would pump milk and I ended up throwing it away because I didn't know about all the things that you could do with breast milk at the time. I was just a brand new mom navigating the world from a very, you know, um, 
uneducated place I would say like all the things that I know now as a doula I did not know as a you know as a young mom but I was I was living and feeling things from my intuition and chest feeding and breast feeding made sense um it was easy um after I got the hang of it it's not it's not easy in the beginning it was terrible after I vaccinated Zion and I'm, and I kind of wonder, like retrospectively, and like even now, how does vaccines impact breastfeeding children? I feel like that would be like a great study to to really think about um, how that how vaccines disrupts that relationship. Because I could have just gave up if Zion would have took formula. I would have just given up because I was so tired of breastfeeding. I was like. So super tired of it it just felt like I was doing it all the time after she got her vaccination the first one and the last one she had ever gotten so right so the doctor told me to basically he like advised me to stop breastfeeding and I was just like no and and one of the visit visits he brought he brought up through lab work that Zion had um, vitamin d levels that were low um, they were in like dangerously low, but they were like borderline low, you know, um, I don't remember what the number was. Um, I'll know more about this when I become a student midwife and I go to school because vitamin D is one of those things that is important. Um, but her, her, her levels were low and he wanted her to get more testing. I didn't really make a big deal of it because they were borderline. They weren't like dangerously low. And so, Zion was walking she wasn't I mean she wasn't walking at the time she was like around nine months but Zion was like strong and there was nothing about her bones that was you know like malleable because the fear with vitamin low vitamin d levels is that she may get rickets and rickets would is like a thing where your bones are not strong enough and they bend or whatever so I was like okay whatever um I'm not going to a specialist. I didn't feel like it was necessary. I, I wasn't rushing on it. So after one of our last visits um, with that doctor, because after he did this, I stopped messing with him, but he called CPS on me. I was accused of medically neglecting Zion, and the order mentioned that, of course, it didn't mention that I was breastfeeding because... That would make me look bad. I mean, good. <laughs> but it um, it said that I refused to vaccinate and that Zion was at risk for rickets from the low vitamin D. And so CPS came to my house one evening. It was two very large black African men. And I and I I like to like name people like who they are um, because I think sometimes um Um, people who haven't gone through um, the mafia and might be of color or might be black don't fully understand how they use their um, immigration story, right? Because their parents immigrated here or they immigrated, whatever, they immigrated here as children and um, they see themselves as other or different than black. And I mean, like, black people who 
don't really have a sense of who they are or what tribe they were taken from, right? Like, that's real life stuff that is happening. And having that disconnection really um, doesn't allow us to know our full self. But once again, another tangent. So they came to my house. They were really big men. And I say that because I'm like 98 pounds, literally. Um, and five two. And they were like, basically, I need to vaccinate Zion and I need to go to the specialist or whatever. And I was like, I'm not taking that man's advice. I don't trust him. Zion is fine. Look at her. This is where she sleeps. This is we got food in the house. Everything's pretty much good. And they kind of alluded to the point of if you don't do what we say, we're going to snatch Zion, you know. And I said in a very calm and very graceful way that the only way that they would ever leave my house with Zion is if they would were rolling out of here with her straight up you ain't leaving with my baby I was like there's no way that I breastfeed this baby and you're gonna tell me you finna snatch her up so they left and I guess they found out through their own whatever that I wasn't compliant medically and one day, um, at the time, I was going to John Jay College Criminal Justice, John Jay College of Criminal Justice in Midtown, New York. And um, I get a call from one of the social workers that came. And he told me that basically his boss submitted a request to remove Zion from the home. I was about an hour and 15 minutes away from the the school I mean sorry I was about an hour and a half away from the courthouse because I was in Manhattan and um family court that I needed to go to was in downtown Yonkers <clears throat> and so literally I'll have to take a bus and a train a train and a bus to get there sometimes two trains and two buses depending on what's going on at that given time so I was really afraid because I thought that I was not going to see the judge that day so I called my mama and my mom was watching Zion at the time and just to put this into context my mom is a disabled person her disability is physical she was hit by a car and so she walks really slow to get to places and it's hard for her to be on her feet for long periods of time so I called my mom, my mom picked up, and I said, Mom, I just got a call. It's that they're trying to remove Zion from the home. Please leave the home now. I don't know if I'm going to make it in time. Go to so-and-so's house um, and stay there and lay low with my daughter. So after that call, I hop on the train. I make it to the courthouse. At the courthouse, I meet with my lawyer for the first time the county gave me a lawyer and um he tells me he puts me up to he brings me up to speed on what and basically tries to get me to take what we would call a plea deal in um in a criminal court and I was like absolutely not I'm not neglectful you can't, there's no way you can tell me that I'm neglectful and I'm not doing that. 
So we fighting this straight up. There's no way that anyone in this courtroom or in this world could tell me that I'm medically neglecting Zion when no one in this house, um, in this courthouse has met Zion. And so when we got into the courthouse, that's basically what I said. I said, um, they put me on the stand and they tried to like find clever ways to make me say that I was being neglectful to my daughter and I did it best up to it and i was like no one in this courtroom has ever met zion because not even the social workers were there they had the county had a lawyer for zion i had my own lawyer and um the the social services had their lawyer so um I think the judge didn't really know what to do. There wasn't no real grounding or like there was there was nothing that she could do to be like, okay, Zion needs to leave out the house because the only evidence they had was what the doctor said. And basically what I was saying was, you know, was like the, my daughter's not dying. So I don't even know why we're here. And um, I'm not going to your doctors. I'm going to go to my own doctors so I can prove this to y'all because this guy is basically being biased. And I have a constitutional right to not vaccinate my daughter. And I also am allowed to decline medical advice. Zion, there's nothing. Zion is not dying of anything, basically. So the before the judge made its little ruling, um, he called all the lawyers up to the... She, Actually, it was a woman. It was a white woman. And she called everyone up to the, um, to her bench. And she basically said, and I could hear her because I wasn't that far from the, you know, where I was standing wasn't that far. I overheard her say, why didn't y'all just remove Zion from the home? Yeah, I had every legal right and protection to do that. Basically, that's what she said out her mouth. My lawyer was like, whoa, 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 you can't say that. Like, why? How can you say that? And I guess she took it back. And that's the only good thing that my lawyer did. And, um, and yeah, and basically the lawyer was, the judge was like, okay, well, she made another court date to come back. And basically, um, she was like, there's no imminent danger. So I'm, we're not going to remove Zion from the home. But basically CPS was still allowed to contact me and I had to basically move forward and prove to them that Zion was not dying from low vitamin D levels. They wanted me to see their lawyers. And I was, and like I said earlier, I said, absolutely not. I'm not a fucking fool. Like, why would people, why would I take your help if you accuse me of doing something that I didn't do? Y'all could forge some papers or make things bigger than what they seem. Because that's what Zion's doctor was doing. He tried to use the low vitamin D levels, which weren't low for black people. Let's come on. Let's talk about that science. Since African people um, are not in the sun as much as they're supposed to be or how much they used to. Um, our, D level, our vitamin D levels are usually lower. And speaking to a black lactation consultant, Brandy, in the Bay Area, she taught me. Um, that basically um, is not uncommon for black babies to have lower vitamin D levels who are exclusively breastfed 
because of the sun factor and all the doctor had to do if he provided culturally competent care was to give me vitamin D supplements and Zion would have got her levels up to a, you know a little bit more higher so they wouldn't have been borderline anyway so mind you at the time I'm a full-time student at John Jay College of Criminal Justice Zion is I don't know why Zion was home that day I don't know if she because Zion was also um in daycare maybe I took her out because I couldn't afford it no more I don't really remember what happened with that to be honest why Zion wasn't at daycare um Maybe because there was a day that cause I, I thought I had another class that night, but I ended up leaving early because I ended up eating, leaving early because of this situation. So I can't remember, but I know Zion was with my mom. OK, another court day. I'm looking around for a doctor of color and a woman, preferably. And I finally find one. She wasn't near my home, but I found one. I think at the time I had a car. And no, I didn't have a car. I think I I, I think I, um, I got a ride or I took a taxi or something. Anyway, I found a doctor in Mount Vernon. She was a epistemologist. It was someone special. It was a specialist that looked at, you know, hormones and love and, um, nutrients and minerals vitamins and blood and was an expert at that she sat down and I told her everything that was going on with the courts um I could tell from my first encounter that she was the bomb.com like she literally sat with me and talked to me for at least 15 20 minutes we talked about it and she said she would take Zion on and she did and she worked with me I don't remember what we did exactly, but um, Zion's vitamin D levels ended up evening now and everything was fine. And she actually wrote a letter that says Zion was fine, that everything seemed fine with Zion. She wrote a report, yada, yada, yada. I did this on my own accord, but I had like Zion's previous schools write a letter about her, about, you know, like did they think this child was neglectful or whatever. And I had basically character statements from different organizations and from my teachers and professors. And I basically like had all these letters at my next hearing date. And, that's, and I did all of that. And um, meanwhile, no one in between them like ever came to my house. Like none of the Zion's lawyer ain't never come to my house to investigate like CPS lawyer never come to my house to investigate. CPS was still coming to my house, though. And that was annoying. But, like, nothing, you know, whatever. Nothing really panned out from that. Um, getting closer to the end of court and going back and forth to court, making sure Zion's going to the doctor, yada, yada, yada. Um, there was a point where the... I guess this county or whoever, but my lawyer basically told me that they wanted me to accept the plea deal. And that plea was basically that I wasn't, I forgot what it's called or what they called it, but basically the gist of it is, is that I wasn't denying or accepting that I was 
being neglectful or they the way that they put it was that if you take this you're not accepting or denying that you were being neglectful towards zion and i was like what how can you do something and not do it at the same time like legally how does that even like politically how does that even make sense and so this is how these people get you because they wanted CPS to be at my in my house and they wanted me to have a record for whatever reason. They could not prove that I was medically neglecting Zion. Right? This is all this is all uh based on their white science and what they think is immunization and vaccines and what they think is right for Zion, even though they don't know that because they never met Zion. They never came to her house. They don't see how she lived. They never call her school. They never do nothing. There was no investigation as far as I am concerned on their part. But still and yet they were trying to judge me. At that time before um, that thing was suggested. I wrote a letter to everyone in the in that was involved. All the lawyers and the judge. And basically what I said was that. There was no way that this courtroom could ever judge me on anything because none of them ever did a full investigation on anything that they said. They just, the only word that they're taking is the word of this doctor that called CPS on me. And I wrote this very eloquent letter explaining that. And I also told them the impact of what they were doing to us and the financial implications of being a poor person and not having the legal, you know, and not having the legal standing to um, to have to hire proper support because the support that they gave me was no support. Zion's lawyer ain't never really called me. He ain't never really called me back. I felt like he was always scrambling, always busy. He wasn't. I was like, well, how are you, my lawyer? If you don't do anything for me, you don't. You basically are doing nothing. You're just appearing at court. And saying what I want you to say when you're the one who should be advising me, not telling me to take deals. So what ended up, what transpired through all of that was a year-long battle in court. And um, after that year-long battle, um, the outcome was that I would have... uh, I forgot what they call it, but basically it's like CPS is coming to your house, but um, they're not like really investigating anything. They're like, it's, they're like I had a CPS worker who ended up being a black Haitian woman. And she was like, when she met me, <laughs> when she met me, she was surprised at how small I was because she was like, the way that my coworkers talked about you, I thought you was like, you know, five foot eight, you know, butch, like, they were scared of me, because I was just, basically, I was, like, kind of going off on them, but, like, in a scholarly way, like, you're not finna trying to play me, I have rights, and none of y'all can ever judge me, because you ain't never give me proper legal representation, and, um, (laughs) so that was that, and, so I accepted the so I don't know what it's called but basically CPS it's a there's there's a I guess an organization in child welfare where they do um where they support families transitioning out of CPS I guess and it's like they do it so you know to prevent any 
um, like, they kind of, like, put me, like, oh, you're a high-risk mother, and we're going to help you um, transition out of CPS. And I just got hella benefits. Like, Zion went to a private um, preschool that year, and they paid for everything and things like that. So, basically, you know, I would get, like, free shit, pots and pans, and, you know, extra resources here and there to help me with Zion. And it was actually very helpful and the the worker that I got wasn't annoying. She was really trying to be helpful. And she kind of knew what was up. Like, she told me her story. She is also a poverty scholar, now a social worker. She was actually really helpful. So, at the end, it, it ended up being okay, despite the fact that that semester I failed school. Like, I was a full-time student. I only passed half of my classes that year because I was constantly looking at the law and preparing myself for these court days that happen like every two to three, four months um, as this went along. And it was actually really stressful to be a mom of a nine-month-year-old baby um, and having to deal with someone between, you know, between that time and 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 one one year old and some change and you know two years old and being in the system and um and having to like deal with that and uh, really really like noticing more and more how because in um in Yonkers CPS child welfare agencies they have their cars and their marked cars and they're in the hood. It's like how you see hella police in the hood. You see hella CPS cars in the hood. And it's actually really sad how black motherhood is policed. And how, you know, brown motherhood is policed. And we're how we're at the whims of these people. And Zion don't really know, but I fought hard for her not to be vaccinated. And I fight hard for her to, you know, to stay pure in her health and to really turn to um, technology that is indigenous and in harmony with the earth. And I say all of that to say that Black Breastfeeding Week is much, much, much more deeper than representation to me, um, is, is more deeper than seeing black women breastfeeding or chest feeding. I do think those things are extremely important. I wish I saw more of it. In my community, I wish I saw more black people breastfeeding in the hood, period. Like, that's something that I think is really important. And I think that breastfeeding really needs to be grounded in a class struggle. And it needs to be grounded also in a class, um, you know, in a poverty lens and an anti-poverty lens. Because in order for people to chest feed after postpartum, like, you literally have to be resting. And when do black mothers or when do black poor mothers or when do black poor single mothers have a chance to really rest when breastfeeding is only successful in community and breastfeeding saves black kids life it literally saves their lives it lowers so many of the risks that are associated with living in this environment that we lived in and as black people especially as baby mamas in the hood we really need to be um cognizant and ahead of this curve that doesn't want us to breastfeed and whether people say they do want us to breastfeed and actually it happening is two different things and 
Um, a lot of them, I'm, the mamas that I work with pro bono, they go straight back to work. Um, and it's hard. And if you don't have support and preparation, and if there isn't a culture already that supports breastfeeding and chest feeding, because it really takes a community to do it. Um, I was only allowed to do it for that long because my mom, my stepfather, my brother, and my community really like helped me and letting me chill with my baby and breastfeeding when I first had her. Um, I was a stay-at-home mom. I'm still a stay-at-home mom. And I was, you know, and it's a it's a blessing. <laughs> it's a blessing and it's definitely also can feel like it's not a blessing because it's it's, a, it's hard and it's un, under an unpaid work to be a stay-at-home mom, especially for baby mamas, solo mothers. But, um... Is definitely worth it. And so I wanted to share that story with you because I really, 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 really want to encourage people to really look at this issue um, more deeply and to uplift um, Black Breastfeeding Week um, because it's extremely important. And babies and babas really need that medicine. Um, it really prepared me to bond with my daughter in a way that I never bonded with my mother because she didn't breastfeed that long. And uh, and it's interesting that she didn't because she breastfed for years. Like she breast, her mother breastfed her for years. And my mom migrated to this country and breastfed me for like, I think she said like one to two months maybe. She was also formula feeding me as well. So... Not to mention she got, like, a class action suit because the formula company was, like, basically poison and had lead in it. Um, excuse me. I'm a little stuffy. So, yeah, um, breastfeeding is deep. And I just wanted to share that story with everyone. I hope that uh, it encourages you to support someone in breastfeeding, all breastfeeding, um, all babies deserve to be breastfed and all mothers and parents who are breastfeeding or chest feeding or who decide to do that are supported in doing so there's nothing more important than what you put into your body and processed um formula is not it read the labels what's in these wick formulas just read them it's processed food it's not food that's alive so um with that I'm signing off. Thank you for listening to the Baby Mamahood podcast. Please follow us on Instagram at Baby Mamahood. You can listen to this podcast on all podcast platforms on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple, which is my preferred way to listen into podcasts. Please rate this podcast. Please like this podcast. Please provide feedback to this podcast if you are trying to reach me you can reach me at babymamahood at gmail.com thank you very much um, most praises to the most high may you have a wonderful wonderful rest of your day please please support breast slash chest get it get it like a pro get it